This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mike Roach of Orange 247, and each week I'll be sitting down with a friend or colleague from the industry to talk about football or recruiting. This week's guest is Tyler Foster. Coach Foster formerly worked as the running backs coach at Prairie View A&M and as a recruiting staffer at Oklahoma State. He talks about the process of evaluating uh, prospects for recruitment and what we can expect from some of the Texas commits he evaluated during his time in Stillwater. So please enjoy this conversation with Tyler Foster. And now joining me on this week's edition of Open Mic, it is a good friend of mine, um, and uh, to me, one of the, the best talent evaluators in the state of Texas right now. Um, he uh, formerly worked for, for Oklahoma State in their recruiting department, uh, worked for Prairie View A&M as a running backs coach. It is my friend, uh, Coach Foster. Uh, coach, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it, Mike. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Um, so first off, just kind of, uh, you know, what's been going on with you uh, during this quarantine, man? What have you been working on? Uh, you know, any, any good TV shows, anything like that? Or you, I know you, you've just been working out and going to Chick-fil-A, but uh, <laughs> share something good with us, man. Man, quarantine time for me has just been about staying mentally sharp. Uh, so anything I can do that helps me stay focused while we don't have sports. So as you mentioned, of course, I'm, I'm working out like crazy. That's what I do. Um, and since the gyms have been shut down, it had been a lot of outdoor cardio for me. Um, so it gives me time to to mentally clear a lot of things out. But um, from a recruiting aspect, uh, it's just trying to find kids in every every hole, every pocket of the state, um, even of the nation. Um, just trying to make sure I don't leave anything untapped. So last week on the show, we had Coach O. Uh, talk about recruiting and that, that's how I met you is you you were close with Coach O um, man and crazy to think I think you and I met in like really you know really started hanging out like in January yeah January uh, when, when you guys came up for Army Bowl for the Combine and I and it's it's crazy now because I consider you like just part of the group like you're part of the group but uh, right. it's just really only been like six seven months so uh uh, you know Coach O through there. Kind of tell us the path of, of how you went through, you know, from your high school career through college and then and then getting into the football industry. Right. So um, high school. So first of all, I'm from Dallas, born and raised. Um, went to W.T. White High School and DISD. Um, played there um, all throughout um, and had a, had a real bad knee injury. So I graduated 2008. So it's the fall 2007 season. Uh, completely ripped my knee to shreds. Um, I was bone on bone. So ACL, MCL, PCL, lateral meniscus, everything. Uh, so it, it hurt me in recruiting uh, personally, lost some some power five interest, um, and then really just kind of bet on myself. Uh, went to Kilgore Junior College to avoid having to go the D2 route and having to transfer back up. Um, 
and got blessed. Uh, Coach Nathaniel Jones, who's now coaching high school in Louisiana, he was at Midwestern State when I was in high school. When I got to junior college, he was at UTSA, came down. He was actually recruiting a uh, position mate of mine, uh, another running back, to come to UTSA and help start up that program with Coach Larry Coker. And um, because he knew me from recruiting me in high school, he actually gave me the opportunity instead of my position mate. And uh, from there, played at UTSA. Um, upon graduation, became a student assistant and really realized that I enjoyed a lot more of the nuance of football than even my talent could take me just playing on the field. So that's how I transitioned into coaching and uh, going through graduate school, coaching at Prairie View A&M, uh, went back to UTSA, did some more student stuff, volunteer intern there, um, and then just kept coaching from that point on. So you have did um, – Prairie was Prairie View before Oklahoma State? Prairie View was before Oklahoma State. Prairie View was my second year of graduate school. Okay, and you did – I guess you were assisting backs there. What was the difference – I mean – I know you've that was on the field. You've done mm -hmm. off the field stuff too. You know, mm -hmm. what are the main differences there? And, and is there one you enjoy more than the other? Absolutely. So there's a huge difference between um, what NCAA recognizes as full-time assistant coaches and then what's designated as support staff. So uh, full-time assistant coaches are everything you think of, quarterbacks, running backs, corners, whatever it may be. Support staff gets into your graduate assistants, quality controls, video analysts, recruiting, uh, things like that, director of football ops. So for me, I enjoy being an on-field assistant more because my true passion is to actually coach football. Uh, I'm a complete football nerd, football geek in every sense of the term uh, when it comes to um, X's and O's, schematics, um, just the complete breakdown of the sport. Uh, the reason I got into recruiting and the difference between those, I was given an opportunity to break into collegiate athletics from the high school ranks at the Power Five level something that had been a dream of mine, but something that I hadn't had the opportunity to do because I had only on-field coached um, at the FCS level and then at the group of five level. So um, transitioning into the, the power five and the off-field situation, um, I got a job to be a prospect analyst for defensive backs at Oklahoma State. I was brought on by a good um, coaching friend of mine and a personal friend as a relationship turned into Tim Duffy and Dan Hammerschmidt, both at Oklahoma State. Um, so your time at Oklahoma State, this is something I, I think we'll get the most out of on this podcast is, you know, I think that there's recruiting theory on this is how you recruit and this is how you identify, but not every, um, you know, not every uh, playing field is level. Um, obviously, at Oklahoma State, you guys aren't going to go head-to-head -head with Oklahoma and Texas and win very many battles. Um, so, you know, what were the things that maybe you guys did to, to get around that or mitigate? Or what were some traits you looked for in, in under-the-radar guys that, that you thought, you know, and, and who are some of those guys maybe you found at the high school level that went on to, to success there? Right. So I would say this, there's a two-part answer to this, so bear with me. First of all, there's a difference between offering a kid and recruiting a kid. Um, I always allude to that because I think it's pivotal and people don't always understand the difference. So there are times when you see kids blowing up, you can throw in X name, they start getting an offer from this school and this school and this school, 
and then they're just getting offers thrown at them from guys who may not have even evaluated or spoke to them or whatever, but just because every other school is showing interest, they get an offer. Then there's recruiting a kid, which is this is the kid you evaluate their tape, you get in contact with them, their coaches, their parents, their families, and you go through and actually try and build a strong relationship to where they see and identify your university as a place that they could potentially call home. And so in part of doing that, um, my job, like you mentioned, Oklahoma State is not on the level of a Michigan or UT or Ohio State, obviously, as a perennial traditional power. So it's my job to identify kids who either come from a program kind of similar to Oklahoma State, maybe a little smaller, but still talented and still recognize that they can reach that potential or guys who have some of those height, weight, speed measurables but don't have all the tools put together in a, in a specific package that's going to develop out in college. So it's identifying those guys early, getting them on our campus, and then guys that I consider having a higher ceiling as opposed to a lower floor. Which, um, I, 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 which guys, I, I mean, are there any that stick out to you? Like we found this guy um, and then he went on, we, we signed him, recruited him, signed him, and, and you know, he went on to have a, a good career to, or is developing into a good career. Uh, in a situation like that, because my stint was so short, man, um, some people don't necessarily know my stint at Oklahoma State was extremely short. I know some guys that we were in on early who ended up becoming All-Americans that maybe we didn't have a chance to nab, but we were able to get them on official visits. And to me, that that creates someone's true top five. Like, yes, guys put out graphics and posters and stuff on Twitter, but where those guys choose to send one of those five slots to and go visit, that's your true top five. So in that small three months that I was there, um, I, I allude to guys who became All-Americans who we were on first. So like the J.D. Coffees, the Ishmael Ibrahims, um, even a Jaron Thompson, Jade Barron, who were both signed to UT, one of their four official visits was actually Oklahoma State. It, you know, it just it didn't pan out the way we wanted it to. Hey, you just named four really familiar names to listeners of this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm going to I want to get back to the evaluation process. But can yeah. you tell me just when you saw those guys, um, can you give me a little bit of, of what your initial thoughts were on each each of those guys you just mentioned? Absolutely. So um, with Ishmael Ibrahim, uh, it's immediately a, a height, weight, speed evaluation. He's got, you know, the 6'2 frame and the, the 80 plus inch wingspan, uh, his ability to go up vertically and challenge balls in the air. And then the true uh, track speed that you see not only um, on the football field, but also in, in the track arena. It, it's real easy to identify that fluid in his hips, and usually guys that are that tall and that lean, they lack a little bit of fluidity once they have to go change directions. That was a real easy see. J.D. Coffey has some of the best eyes I think I may have ever seen at the high school level um, in a really long time, if not ever. Uh, and for him to be able to play on varsity so long and have so many – mental and physical reps at such a high level um you know when I first saw his tape I was I was literally doing a tally mark on my desk like wait a second five six you know and then you look up and it's like he has 14 interceptions in two and a half seasons like it, it was unreal and it wasn't you know lucky stuff of a tip ball here and he just happened to be in the right place at the right time he was baiting quarterbacks on film 
Um, and that's not something that's very easy to do high school wise. Jaron Thompson was a freak. Um, I thought he was Lufkin's own version of the honey badger. Uh, when you put on this tape, man, you can see him go from sideline to sideline. He was rushing the quarterback. He was coming downhill, dislodging receivers from the ball. It was, it was crazy. And the Jade Barron thing, uh, he started off really early, committed to TCU, and uh, we didn't think we would even have a chance to to get to speak with him um, and just made some connections with him um, and some other guys, another UT guy that I'll name drop because y'all know him, John Harrison, they're good buddies. So uh, on his visit, his, his first one, he went to Oklahoma State twice, his unofficial was uh, Princely, Dejon Harrison, and Jade Barron all came together. Um, absolutely loved it. At that time, Princely was mega, you know, way bigger than the other two prospects. So, you know, we knew we were kind of out on him, but we appreciated him for just coming down, showing that support. But Jade, we were high on. Um, he had some of the best feet um, of anyone in his class. And I think, you know, because he was with TCU so early, people kind of, you know, lost interest or just stopped pursuing him as much, I would say. Um, but then once all the smoke cleared and people really started to go back and evaluate DBs in the state of Texas, I think once some of those lists and rankings came out, he was up there with some of the best of them because his feet are just unreal. One other guy I'll ask you about, I, mm-hmm. I th- to me, was maybe the best peer cover guy in the state of Texas last year, also signed with Texas. And I, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State had to be on him because his head coach was an Oklahoma State legend. Um, <laughs> Keaton Crawford at John Tyler. What were your right. thoughts on him? Yeah, so key time, when he was approached um, or when he was brought to me and put on my plate, it was kind of like, well, he's so athletic. What do we do with him? And then you go to evaluate his tape and it's running back here, wildcat quarterback here, receiver, corner, safety. It's like, oh, my goodness, do we have a chance to legitimately know where to put this guy? And in situations like that, I just identify him as a dude and we'll figure it out when he gets to campus. My thing is let the kid tell you where he wants to play, let him, you know, put him out there at practice and then whatever he can do, only ask him to do those things. It's really simple, but he, he was an absolute specimen. Um, and, and that East Texas train, it, it keeps rolling down there, man. All right, let's get back to the evaluation process. Is there a trait? I mean, you, you, you identified primarily defensive backs. Is there a trait or a, a couple of traits that these are the most important things. They got to have this, this, and this at the top of the list. For a defensive back specifically or positions in general? I mean, just for a defensive back specifically. DB specifically, yeah. So um, for me, when I'm looking at guys on tape, I have to be able to identify their change of direction, um, getting in and out of pedals and brakes and ball skills. Um, I'm really big on ball skills. Uh, I tell players all the time whenever I'm recruiting them or they come on campus, you know, it's all good to, you know, get in completion and stand up and, you know, wave your hands like, hey, incomplete, but turning the ball over wins games. And defenses help offenses way more than people want to give them credit for. You know, the adage of defense wins championships kind of getting played out with the whole, you know, quarterback emergence, as you will. But, Um, Guys that can turn the ball over are huge. And you will notice that the guys that are six feet and some change, 175 and some change, they can run, they'll get recruited. But guys that can catch the football and turn it over, those are the guys going to 
the playoff contending national title contending teams. You know, you mentioned um, ball skills. You mentioned that, that athletic movement. We use athletic context a lot within our rankings as far as we look at what a guy does in track or if he's a basketball player, um, you know, what he does there. I, how much did that come into play for you guys, like looking at what they were doing outside the football? Yeah, it's a big thing. So um, it's something that actually I took from studying other great evaluators. Um, so I, I've had conversations with, um, with Kendall Browse, who was a multiple-time Big 12 recruiter of the year. And listening to him speak on a podcast with um, Daniel Jeremiah, he was speaking about only looking at guys who do more than one thing. Meaning if a guy has already made a decision that football is the only thing that he can do, more times than not, they're going to shy away from that guy. It's important to do things like track, basketball, some guys do baseball, whatever your second or third sport may be. Um, one, it helps your body in the long run. It takes pressure off of doing the same movements over and over and over again for a year-round span. Um, second thing, it creates different natural athletic abilities that you don't necessarily know you possess. So covering a DB versus trying to defeat a pick and roll, while it, it takes athleticism on both ends, is two totally different movements um, and two totally different uh, body compositions that, that have to come from those things. So, yeah, running track, um, playing basketball, uh, playing baseball, all those things are huge. I think that you, you what makes I guess your story most interesting to me is it's these behind the scenes guys who are doing the the film work and the the initial evaluation right I would say you're probably in your role at Oklahoma State you're the first guy who looks at a kid and then you kind of pass him up and that way the coaches aren't mired at looking at every single kid that comes across their desk um, you know that's obviously becoming a more vital role in college football as these support staffs are expanding um, you know, what, what's next for you? I mean, have you, have you talked to any other schools at this point or are you looking to get back in that game? Are you thinking about joining the high school ranks or, or how, how would you want to do it? Uh, man, dream opportunity um, is, is to get back as an on-field coach um, at the collegiate ranks. Um, recruiting obviously has been something that has afforded me a lot of great opportunities. It's put me in a lot of rooms and conversations and opportunities um, to seek that next position. Um, so right now it's it's plugging away. Um, you know, the, the hate to blame COVID, but obviously it's a situation and time that we're in and it's inevitable. Um, it, it's putting a lot of universities in weird spots in terms of bringing in new people, uh, especially for those support staff roles. Um, their, their hands are kind of tied through, um, you know, institutions and HRs and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I would love to get back um, in the collegiate ranks and uh, be on-field coaching or support staff role and just continue to work my way up. Um, and if that doesn't present itself um, within a timely fashion, then I'm hoping to get back coaching high school just so that way I'm not spending – you know, season after season outside of ball while I'm waiting on the next opportunity to pop for me. You've been kind of um, doing some talent identification of yourself. You're putting together <laughs> these uh, these underrated or what, what do we call it? The under the radar, the don't sleep, sleep on me list. Yeah, yeah, don't sleep. sleep um, 
I always say recruiting never sleeps and it's um, it's, if you get it in your blood, it's, you kind of become obsessed with it and, and you kind of think about it all the time, uh, man, you're not even having to do it anymore. And so yet you're sitting around here watching film and watching kids and putting together these lists. Um, you know, I guess who are some kids you'd like to shout out that you still think that the state's asleep on? Oh man. Uh, that's a good one. So recently, um, I'm sure you saw a tweet maybe a week to 10 days ago. Um, a running back I found out in San Augustine, the mm-hmm. name Tom Barnes. Uh, unreal burst um, and agility for someone in a town of, I think I Googled it because I always look up towns whenever I see these kids. I want to say that town has between 900 and 1,200 people in it. It's middle of nowhere, dude. I went out there a couple years ago for a playoff game, and it is middle of nowhere. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm looking, you know, I'm watching this tape of this kid, and I'm just like play after play with 70 yards here, 80 yards here, um, you know, leaving guys in the dust. And then some of the ones where the angles were a little better for the defense, it was juke move here, step back here, and then just burst out of there. Um, you know, finding guys like that who – um, you know, he had a little bit of buzz, but nowhere near, you know, what he should be. And we know it's because, like you said, he's out in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, there's an offensive tackle at Dallas Jesuit that is starting to pick up a little bit of buzz. But, you know, size-wise, um, I mean, wingspan, hand size, you name it. And then you turn on the tape, and he is rolling the hips. He's pancaking guys 10-plus yards downfield. He, he's moving, he's agile, he's a, a big bear dancing is what they like to call it in the scouting community. So it, it's guys like that who, whether it be from a school or a program as prominent as Jesuit or as small as San Augustine, Texas, um, it's the ability to, to watch these guys on tape and see, um, you know, not to denigrate anyone, not to say what they've missed, but just something that hasn't been put on their plate yet. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's always what we see stuff all the time that, hey, look, for years, for like a year and a half, I was yelling at everybody around me, this Jackson Smith kid at Rockwall seems pretty good to me. And, and people in state, for whatever reason, just wouldn't take the bait. And I got into a thing where I'm like, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, obviously they're paid all this money. And then I'd go watch you play again. I'm like, no, I'm not wrong. This kid's really, really good. And, you know, eventually it comes around. So, it's no, it's not to ever denigrate anybody. But certainly, you know, there's things that they just haven't seen as of yet. And so I think that's a that's a fair point. Um, I want to finish this, this conversation by finishing the way we always do on open mic. Um, you've been around, you've played, uh, you've coached you've done some evaluating, you've been on sidelines. Um, who are some of the best players you ever saw at the high school level? Ooh, um, best players I ever saw. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back a little bit and then I'm going to come back forward. Um, so the graduating class of 2006, and this is, I know it's going to sound like a Homer. Leon Patton was a running back WT white class of 2006. He was he was LaShawn McCoy, Barry Sanders before, you know, LaShawn McCoy really blew up. He could make you miss in a phone booth. I've seen him make guys fall on their knees and he was about two steps away from the sideline. And then he gets recruited, um, signs to Kansas state and become immediately becomes big 12 freshman of the year. Um, you know, from WT white, uh, another guy, WT white, um, was all American, all state, 
um, safety, defensive end, linebacker. Yes, he played all three positions. His name was Demarie Thompson, uh, went to A&M, one of the more special guys um, I had ever been around. Um, coming forward, uh, I really liked William Cole at Cedar Hill. Um, he was just dynamic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he was undeniable. He was really he, undeniable. You know, he's like, for me, at that point in my life, didn't really understand what colleges were looking for. And, you know, sometimes you run into those dudes who are just, man, that guy's a really good high school player. And that's, you know, what he'll be. He may be a good college player for a smaller school, but he's never going to go to, like, big-time schools. And that was right. the lesson for William. Because I would watch William Cole in high school and be like, this dude is unstoppable. There's nobody, you know, I mean, he was, to me, he was Kyler Murray before Kyler Murray, um, you know, with his legs at least. So, yeah, I, I got you there. I'm with you. Yeah, and then now my next one absolutely has to be Kyler Murray. Um, just the resume that he put together, uh, watching him do it week in and week out, and, and the reign was so long. The reign of consistent greatness was, was just too long. And then the last one, um, another guy who – was a personal favorite of mine and you can ask some of the guys that, that we know mutually Chandler Morris uh he, <laughs> he had an it factor to him um he just had he just had a tick um and and one of my favorite favorite football movies of all time is Varsity Blues um and he just had that that little niche in him and and uh, coach o will tell you I refer to him as Johnny Moxley <laughs> Well, our good friend, our mutual friend Guy will, will really enjoy that shout out for sure. Yeah. Uh, he will really enjoy that shout out for sure. The Highland Park uh, alumnus himself. Well, uh, Coach Foster, man, we are uh, really excited you could join us on the pod and, and just kind of give us some insight into the way the, the recruiting and evaluation industry works um, from that side of the of the desk. Um, really hoping to see you get back into uh, into ball at the at the collegiate level, but man, I'm I'm thankful for uh, for being able to meet you and uh, you know our friendship that we have. So uh, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity, Rose. Thank you for listening to another episode of the State of Recruiting's Open Mic. As a reminder, you can find the show on any major po- podcast platform: Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. We would also like to ask that you go to any of those podcast platforms and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 